Luke chapter 8, verse 45. Oh my goodness, what a great passage. I love this passage. Uh, go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word together. <clears throat> Luke 8, 45. These, uh, these are the words of Christ here. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Wow. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and this amazing moment in history. I pray you would teach us from it and see how beautifully it applies to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to share with you one of my most favorite passages in the Bible. It is beautiful. And so the title of my sermon this week is simply Beautiful Faith. Just reading it encourages me. It describes one of the more unusual healings by Jesus. And I can hardly wait, by the way, until the Chosen series shows this encounter, Chris June. You don't have to put my name in the credits, but that's okay if you do. <laughs> it will be a wonderful scene. Have you ever had a crazy day? I mean, from the moment you wake up until the moment that you go to sleep, it's just one of those days. Everything seems to happen. In fact, you may have days, weeks, or months where it seems like nothing happens in your life, and then in one day, it all packs together, and you have a crazy day. Well, that's exactly what kind of day Jesus was having that we see in Luke chapter 8. He began the day by going across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And since he was going across a large lake and it would take some time, he decided to take a little nap and rest for the long day ahead of him. And by the way, it will be a long day. Demons will be uh, exercised. The dead will be resurrected. I, I mean, tremendous things are going to happen in this day. Long day. So he takes a nap. A storm brews up. The, the disciples became terrified. And you know that story well. They went to Jesus, woke him up. And so he got up and calmed the storm. And they were stunned and shocked. I think terrified at him at that point because he, they realized he had the power to calm the storm. He had power over nature. They're still learning. They don't realize exactly the nature of Jesus. In fact, we're going to encounter somebody who probably understands his nature better than the disciples do, which is extraordinary. And so they finally land. After he's calmed the sea, they land on the other side. The moment the boat hits the shore, a demoniac comes up, and he's possessed with a legion of demons. Jesus, as you know, famously removes all of those demons out of him, cast them out, healing the man, and cast those demons into a herd of pigs. Well, the pig owners were there, and other people saw this demoniac uh, now uh, in his right mind, and instead of glorifying God, they're terrified too. They're thinking the same thing the disciples thought when they were out on the lake. They thought, who is this guy that, that he can cast out these demons like this? And in fear, they ask him to leave. <laughs> Isn't that odd? And so Jesus got back on the boat with the disciples. They went across the lake. As soon as they landed back on the other side, as soon as they landed, 
the synagogue ruler, a man named Jairus, came to Jesus and said, look, my daughter is very, very ill. Would you, would you go and heal her? And so Jesus agrees and they go to his house in order for him to heal the little girl. We find out later that before they even get to the house, the girl has in fact died. They get word that she's died. And uh, so doesn't slow him down a bit. He goes straight to the house and resurrects her from the dead. What an extraordinary day that is. In the middle of that, while he's with the synagogue ruler on the way to his house to resurrect this girl, this event happens in the crowd, which may be the most startling miracle of all. Now, that's a crazy day. I believe uh, God desires to teach us through the unexpected. And I believe this passage has much to do with your life and my life. So let's look at this most unusual encounter. And the first thing you're going to notice is it was an unplanned encounter. It was an unplanned encounter. Jesus and the disciples hadn't planned for months. They didn't have any kind of uh, logistical strategy for what is about to happen. It wasn't planned at all. In fact, he didn't even know it happened when it happened, which I find extraordinary too. Look with me in Luke 8, chapter 42. Uh, Luke chapter 8, excuse me, Luke chapter 8, verse 42. says, as Jesus was on his way, crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So there's a lady that's got a problem, and she's been sick for 12 years. This particular problem caused her to be unclean, which means that she could not be around her family, her children, or her, her friends. She couldn't uh, have any, any kind of productive life at all because she was unclean. She couldn't go to worship because she was considered unclean. And so she finds out that Jesus is in the area. Extraordinary faith. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to notice the very first part of that verse. If you go that, back to that verse, it says, as Jesus was on his way. Now, on his way was on his way to Jairus' house to heal or ultimately resurrect her, his daughter. I love vacationing with my family. We usually end up going somewhere that's as remote as possible. Of course, we've taken that little trip up to Yellowstone National Park, but we've been to Yosemite, way over to San Francisco. I'm about done with California, but we've been that far. It's a long way. We've been to Niagara Falls, which is about as far from here as you can get in a Tahoe. The only place left now is Alaska. But I like going on long-distance trips with my family because it's not where we go. Very often, the, the memories, the, the special memories that we develop as a family that we fill our photo album full of is what happens on the way to that destination. The destination is just kind of an excuse for a road trip. And I like that. I like rolling the dice every day as to where we're going to eat. It may be the best place or worst place you've ever eaten in your life. It may make, sick, may, may make you sick for days, or it may be the best meal you've ever had. I don't know. But I like going places with my kids. I like to go through a town, and if there's something we want to do, I like the freedom to be able to stop and enjoy life and, and just soak in the moment. It is the journey as much as the destination. 
Now, you and I know that God has placed us on this, uh, this, this earth for a purpose. And if we are saved in Christ, we know our destination is heaven. But as I told you last time, if that's the only purpose of our life, God will go ahead and call us home now and we go to heaven. But we're here. You're here, apparently. We're here for something. It is the journey to which God has called us on our way to heaven. God wants to do amazing things in our lives for his glory. It was an unplanned encounter. I like that. As Jesus was on his way. Now notice that Jesus didn't go out of his way. He didn't get into the crowd and said, you know, like he did with Zacchaeus. He was ready for Zacchaeus. He called Zacchaeus out of that tree that day and said, I want to go eat lunch at your house and et cetera, et cetera. That's not the case with this woman. He seems to not even be aware that she's there. He, he didn't, so he didn't go out of the way. He wasn't even looking for her at all. He didn't say, you know, uh, while we're here, I think there's somebody I'm supposed to see. Where is she? Let's go over here and wait for her and see if she shows up. There was none of that. He's just walking along when she finds him. Maybe you walked in this morning or tuned in online on a whim. Maybe you didn't think much about it. You just thought, hey, I think I'll go to worship today or I think I'll, I'll watch online today. And you're not expecting a whole lot in return, but you might be surprised. This might be the day that will change your life. Not only was it an unplanned encounter, but it was also a faith-filled encounter. A faith-filled encounter. Now, that doesn't sound very snappy or exciting, but it, it was essential for what happened, as it is essential for your life and my life. If you have zero faith, not a whole lot going to happen between now and the day you die of any consequence. This was a faith-filled encounter. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 42. Verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Now, let me stop right there just for a moment. He says a lot right there. First of all, she's been suffering for more than a decade. Secondly, she'd gone to every doctor she knew, probably every religious leader in the area. Jairus probably knew her well. And none of them could do a thing for her. She'd probably given up hope at this point until she heard about this amazing Jesus. And she was desperate to get to him. She had tremendous faith. It says in verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. And so before Jesus even knew she was there, she was already healed. Isn't that remarkable? He didn't turn around and say some fancy hocus pocus enchantment. He didn't give a big speech or a lecture. He didn't call people over and say, hey, look at this. He didn't know. He's just walking along in the crowd, being pushed and crushed in the crowd. And she came up and touched him. Now, uh, you have to understand, when it says that he was being crushed in the crowd, the crowd that he's talking about here is probably almost all men. Okay, women, women didn't mingle with men. I mean, there's women and men here all over the place mingled together, but that, this is a 21st century. That wasn't. 
Okay, men over here, women over here, or men in this room and women in another room, they, they, didn't, they didn't walk around like this in crowds of men and women. And almost certainly all of these that are around him, his 12 disciples, and all the others were almost all men. Now, there may have been women off in the distance and here and there, but following along, but they were together and the men were together and they were crushing Jesus. And so here in this crowd of men, there's one woman who, by the way, is not supposed to be there. It was not legal for her to be there because she was unclean, let alone to be in a crowd of men. She didn't care. I think she did care, but she wanted to be healed. And she had gotten it in her mind, rightly so, she'd figured it out, that, that this, this prophet, this Messiah, could heal her. This was her hope. This was her shot. This was her chance. And she was right. Had she stayed out of town that day and thought, well, I'm unclean, I... I shouldn't be around all these people and I shouldn't go in this crowd of men. That's a formula for disaster. I'm just not going to bother him. I'm just not going to do anything. That would have been her shot. Likely she never would have been healed from this. And she saw it. She got it. And so she took whatever risks that she had to do. It was a faith-filled encounter. Now here's the strategy. She didn't come up to him hollering, Jesus, Jesus, heal me. Some people did that. Help me. Some people did that. Not her. She has already decided out of faith, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. That's faith. That's faith right there. And so immediately her bleeding stopped. Her, her, immediately she was healed and then in verse 45, the next verse, Jesus says, who touched me? When, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding, pressing against you. What does Peter mean when he says that? Now, he didn't say this, but I guarantee Peter was thinking it. Jesus, that's a stupid question. <laughs> what do you mean, who touched you? It, it, it says literally he was being crushed by people. Probably 300 people had already touched him in the last 10 minutes, and Jesus wants to know who touched him. See, Peter didn't get it. Usually, as usual, he was clueless. But Jesus says, yeah, somebody touched me. Now, here's what I find remarkable about this. The others were pressing up against Jesus. Why were they there? I mean, maybe they were curious. They'd heard about this Messiah. Or maybe they wanted to hear what he had to say. Maybe he was just the celebrity of the day. It was during a time of great popularity. And they just wanted to see this guy everybody's talking about. And so a lot of people were there. A lot of people were touching Jesus and his garment. How many of them were healed? One. I find that extraordinary. So many people came into contact with Jesus and the result was nothing. But one person experienced the power, literally power, come out from Jesus and heal her. I find that amazing. Now, I don't think that other people were there to attack him or condemning, uh, condemn him, but I think they just wanted to be near him. Now, I find this to be true in the 21st century. I think a lot of people are curious about Jesus. They'll go to church. Or they'll watch the, uh, a television program with a worship service or their favorite preacher. And I think they're curious about Jesus. They want to be near Jesus. 
This woman didn't want to be near him. She wanted to touch him. She wanted to get a little closer than just near. And to that extent, you and I, we can go to church week after week, month after month, decade after decade, and be near Jesus, and our life will be completely unaffected. In fact, if you go home and you're thinking, this really isn't working for me, maybe the problem is that you're just near Jesus <laughs> and no closer. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. But it's only when you abide in Jesus that you experience the miraculous, the change, forgiveness, redemption, hope, and purpose in your life. His character, his power, his glory, his wisdom, his joy, his purpose in the world, his plan for your life, his salvation that he offers you. While you may hear about all of this, you won't experience it if you're just near him. Jesus wants you to be closer than that. So, and this is important. I, I need to tell you this. When, when we talk about her faith, I don't believe that the reason the woman was healed because she believed that Jesus could heal her in and of itself. Uh, let, me, let me explain that. I don't think this, Jesus, this, this woman thought, this guy can heal me. It's, it's a metaphysical thing or whatever, if I can just touch. I think she literally thought that Jesus was God incarnate. That is, it's not that she had faith that he could heal her. I think she had faith in Jesus, period. And this is where it distinguished her from the disciples and so many other people pressing against him. She believed she was in the presence of her almighty God. And so when she reached out and touched his garment, she was healed. But, but here's where I'm getting with this. I don't think she saw Jesus as her personal genie. She rubbed the lamp, he comes out, gives her her wish. And there are a lot of people that do that. They ask God for this. They ask God for healing, that God heal me here or help me there or do this for me there. Uh, and then when that doesn't happen or if that doesn't happen, if God chooses not to restore that relationship, you just desperately want to be restored. If God does not help you uh, keep that job that's in jeopardy because he has another plan and another path for you or whatever happens or physical healing in your life, because God doesn't come through, your genie doesn't work. What good is your genie anymore? And so you stop coming to church, you stop praying, you stop experiencing or pursuing a faith relationship in your life because God didn't come through. I don't think that's the kind of faith she had. I think she believed that he was the son of God, whether she got healed or not. Paul faced that exact kind of dilemma in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pled with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. Listen to what he says. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's God speaking. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, this is not easy. It's not easy. What I'm about to say is not easy. Maybe when you ask, God will heal you. Powerfully, supernaturally, he does. I believe in miracles. But it may be that God will use your weakness or your infirmity for his glory. We've been going through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We're in the book of Judges. I think I mentioned to you last Sunday that we're looking at the life of Gideon and how Gideon had had encountered the Midianites and, and their huge army, about 135,000. So he gathered his army. It was like 40,000. It was a much smaller army, but it was tens of thousands. And God said, no, I can't work with that. You're going to have to send some of them home. So he said, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 people left. A bunch of cowards. And so <clears throat> he's down with a much smaller group. And God says, no, I can't work with that. It's too many. Uh, let's weed them out. So he weeded them down to 300 people. And he told Gideon why. He said, so that no one will get confused and think it's because of your power. They'll know it's because of my power. It will be for my glory that I'm going to deliver these Midianites into the hands of only 300 people. And we saw this last Wednesday night. You, you remember the story. They, they encircled the Midianite camp during the black of night. They had a torch in a clay pot in one hand and a trumpet in the other. And at Gideon's signal, they broke their pot, exposed their torch, and played their trumpet. And the Midianites went into a frenzy, a panic. And in the frenzy, of panic, they killed each other. Slaughtered over 100,000 of them were slaughtered by themselves. They just killed each other. That's why it's really important to wear a uniform where you're clearly identified. <laughs> anyway, so, but the, here's, the, here's the kicker from that. They were, they were down to like, uh, how many was it? Wednesday night crowd, can you help me? Well, thanks a lot. Though how many were there left? 15,000. So they were down, they dwindled down to a lousy little 15,000 group of, of men. And the Israelites took off after them to pursue them and attack them. Now, how many Israelites are there? There's still just 300. There's no... There's no hidden pot in the middle of the night kind of thing. An army of 300 attacked an army of 15,000 and just cut through them like butter. <laughs> that was just extraordinary. And you know why they did that or how they did that? It was by the power of God because 300 people can't defeat 15,000. It's not logistically possible. I'm not a military strategist, but I can tell you that's impossible. And so God was glorified that day. In fact, they wanted to make Gideon king that day. And he said, nope, I'm not going to be king. You already got a king. It's God. So um, I say it to say, God can use you and your weakness just like he did with Paul for his glory. Now, sometimes he chooses to bring glory to himself by healing you. And sometimes he doesn't. But whether he heals you or whether he does not heal you is a declaration of whether or not you have faith in God as God or as a genie. If it's just a genie, you'll forget all about him. You'll quit. But if he's God, God will be glorified in your life through easy or difficult days. Um, the third thing, it was not only an unplanned encounter, it was not only a faith-filled encounter, but it also was a powerful 
encounter. Now, I love this. Look with me back in chapter 8, verse 42. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Now, let me stop right there. I, I can't explain this. I truly don't comprehend this, but it does tell us something beautiful in this passage about the nature of Jesus. If you were to say, or if I were to say Jesus is powerful, will we not all say amen? But here's the thing about Jesus. He literally had power flowing through him. Limitless power. We're going to see this in a minute. I told the early crowd, if you ever watch the ridiculous fictional show Star Wars, which I really enjoy, and Yoda does something amazing like lift a spaceship out of the water and set it on the ground. When he does that, he needs a nap. <laughs> he's wiped out. You know, he's worn out because of that exhausting. Well, Jesus never needs a nap. He has power, endless and abundant. And so if you are in a place in your life, you want to touch the hem of the garment that Jesus is wearing and you need the power of Christ, you don't have to want worry that he's going to give out on you. Come back next week when his batteries are recharged. You don't have to do that. Jesus has limitless power. And so he says, power has gone out of me. Again, I don't fully understand that. How is it that he's got power flowing through him? And how is it that he even knows that power has flown, come out of him? I don't know, but he did. Verse 47, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Now, again, let me stop right there. She realizes the gig is up. Because Jesus says, who touched me? And so the disciples, you know, again, Peter says that dumb statement. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Everybody touched you. He says, no, power came out of me. Somebody touched me. What he means is somebody touched me with faith. And so that wasn't the disciples, obviously. <laughs> and so it narrowed it down to one person. The whole crowd, one person had enough faith that power came out of him when she touched him. And so they all stop, apparently. He stops and says, who touched me? And all these men start looking around. And, and who stands out in the crowd now? Well, there's a woman down there on the ground, slipping between the men, trying quietly to get out of there when she realizes, oh, the gig is up. So she probably thinks she's going to get griped out. She comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. And the passage actually says she was trembling. She's scared to death. Because she, maybe she feels that she's stolen this power or something. And so she, what, what's she going to do? She's in trouble, certainly with the law, because she had come there and she was unclean. But it says when she couldn't go unnoticed, she's caught. She came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Now, here's what I want you to know from this. The power of God is not hypothetical. It's real. Just as, just as electricity is making these lights work, that's not a mystery to us. I'm not sure how it works. But, but it's real. If you touch that cable, you're going to get a shock. It's real power. And what was in Jesus is real power, not just philosophical or hypothetical. It was genuine power that came out of him. It was not hype. It was not exaggeration. It was very real. And your life and my life depend upon that very real power. First, we see 
that the ministry of Jesus was actually defined by power. And I'm going to finish our story in just a moment, but I want to show you this one other passage. If you, if you back up just a couple of chapters to Luke chapter 6, verse 17, while this story with this woman touching him and being healed was unusual, it was not unique. Just a short time before, on another day, in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, it says this, He went down with them and stood in a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil, so those needed to be healed of their diseases and those troubled by evil spirits were cured. Verse 19, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Is that not extraordinary? I mean, people are just coming up and they're just touching him and, and power is just flowing out of him. I, I don't even know how many dozens, hundreds, or thousands of people that day were healed, but it was a lot of people. They were just coming to, to just to touch him because power's coming out. I find that extraordinary, don't you? Not only is Jesus powerful in a literal sense, but our future as believers are defined, and I mean defined, by that power. If you look with me in Luke chapter 21, this is verse 26. Luke chapter 21, verse 26, Jesus says this about the second coming. He says, men will faint from terror. Men, not women, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming in the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken, literally are shaking. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with what? With power and great glory. When these, listen to this part, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I love that. Oh, I can't wait. Hope it's today. I really would appreciate if it were today. If I were God, I'd make it today. This world's such a mess. But whenever it happens, if you see Jesus coming in the clouds, here's your part. Stand up and lift up your head because your redemption is at hand. Isn't that beautiful? By the power of our Savior. The Christian singer David Crowder has a song entitled Promised Land, and it's all about the power of God. Listen to the lyrics. He says, who has the power over slavery's hand? Who has the power to free a man? Who has the power who holds the throne? Oh, my sweet Lord. Who has the power to part the sea? Who has the power to rescue me? Who has the power to save my soul? Oh, my sweet Lord. Glory, hallelujah, he says, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand, glory, hallelujah. And then he goes on to say this, I'm longing for the promised land. Who has the power to heal the heart? Who has the power to light the dark? Who has the power to make me whole? Oh, my sweet Lord. Who has the power to conquer death? Who has the power to raise the dead? Who has the power who holds the world? Oh, my sweet Lord. And then he goes on to say, glory, hallelujah. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. Glory, hallelujah. I'm longing for the promised land. I thank God for the power of our Savior. Then I'll leave you with this. Lastly, we see it had a peaceful 
outcome. The very last verse, Luke chapter 8, verse 48, says this. Oh, my goodness. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I want to focus on that last word, but before I get to the last word, you have to look at the first word of his sentence. He says to her, what? You unclean woman. I dare you come in, push through these men and be here like this. I don't know you. No. He doesn't even say, look, nice lady. No. He says, daughter. There's a family connection there. She's likely older than him. <laughs> Although, you know, if you think about it, Jesus, John 1, 1, or John chapter 1 says that he created the world, that all things were made through him, by him, and for him. And so he, he's older than she is. In fact, he created her, and he says, daughter. Not just some woman, not just unclean person that she'd been hearing for over a decade. Daughter, part of my family. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, you know what happened? It doesn't tell us, but I can tell you what happened. She went straight to the priests and was declared clean. She went home and hugged her kids and her husband and her parents. She got to sleep in her bed that night for the first time in 12 years. Talk about peace. He restored her soul. He made her whole. Long ago, Scottish Christian minister George MacDonald wrote a beautiful poem about this very woman that Jesus healed. It's not a very snappy title, but it's a good description. The title is of the poem is The Woman Who Came Behind Him in the Crowd. Here's the poem. Near him she stole, rank after rank, she feared approach too loud. She touched his garment hem and shrank back into the sheltering crowd. A shame-faced gladness thrills her frame. Her 12 years fainting prayer is heard at last. She's the same as other women there. I didn't think about that. She just wants to be like the other women. She hears his voice. He looks about. Ah, oh, is it kind or good to drag her sweet sorrow out before that multitude? The eyes of men she dares not meet. On her they straight must fall. Forward she sped and at his feet fell down and told him all. To the one refuge she had flown, the Godhead's burning flame of all earth's women, she alone hears there the tenderest name. Daughter, he said, be of good cheer. Thy faith has made thee whole. With plenteous love, not healing near, he comforts her very soul. Peace is elusive in our world. Satan is the lord of chaos, and chaos describes our world here and now. And that's what Satan wants for your life. Chaos. But Jesus offers peace. If you're tired of being tossed back and forth by anxiety that this world has, if you're tired of the worry and the fear and the hopelessness of this world, I want you to know there is another way. And his name is Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today. 
acknowledging your power, your son, his authority in this world, past, present, and future, and that our very life is dependent upon him. We come today glorifying his name because his power is not hypothetical or philosophical. It is very real, limitless, unlike anything in this universe. And Father, we come to you today to give you glory because we realize in your mercy you've given us the same access to his power that that woman had. And it is mercy. Father, I pray that you would help us to stop being near Christ and touch the hem of his garment in faith. Father, there are those here that are hurting for so many reasons. They are struggling with anxiety and fears. I pray today you would grant them peace. I know there are there, those here today like her that are physically suffering. And Father, if you can be glorified through that healing, I ask and pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal them. I know with Stoney and as he's struggling in the hospital and so many others, I lift them to you and ask your healing hand on them. But more than that, whether it's myself or anyone else, we pray that you are glorified through us, through whatever you allow us to do in life. Today we come to you. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you? Are you tired of being tossed back and forth in this world? Are you tired of the anxiety and the fear? I want you to know God can take that away and he can grant you peace through Christ. Christ alone. I want to challenge you to come forward and say, Pastor, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Everybody that Jesus called, he called publicly. There were no secret Christians then or now. That's why we require that you step forward. That's why he requires you to step forward and make a public profession of faith. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. Maybe you've already done that, but you've never become a candidate for baptism and Jesus calls you to be baptized. It's your way of declaring to the world. It doesn't save you, but it is important an act of obedience to say to the world, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with this fellowship, or you just want to come down and kneel and pray for yourself or for someone that you know and love. Right now, God is giving you that opportunity. No one's looking around. As you continue to pray, would you stand? All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed, and as you pray right now, you come.